Good morning, everybody. Man, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming, making this morning special. Uh, hello to this, uh, those that are at the downtown campus, uh, watching online. Uh, we just had a moment, and I just want to highlight it again, of just how many of you in different ways serve, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, and uh, make what we see happen on Sunday mornings, uh, at Cove, at downtown, just really special. And so thank you for that. I, I think there's so much to celebrate when I think about River Tree. Uh, and what God has done in the life of River Tree over the last year and how people are involved and how people are not only loving Jesus more, but loving one another. And, and that always just brings me a lot of, of joy and a lot of gratitude to be part of a church with you that is doing, doing so many special things. So we're going to highlight some of those tonight uh, at the members meeting. Uh, and you already heard perhaps that you don't have to be a member to attend. In fact, there are some people that maybe visiting River Tree or like trying to understand, I would love to get to know River Tree a little bit more kind of uh, behind the scenes. And so we just encourage people to come, be part of that meeting, uh, hear how River Tree is kind of stewarding the resources and kind of the way that we see ministry moving forward. Uh, what really some exciting things that happened this year and uh, what next year could look like as we begin to plan and prepare. And so I look forward to seeing you guys back here 6.30 tonight uh, at the Cove campus. We would love uh, for that meeting uh, to be something that would be a real encouragement to you. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, turn with me. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. It says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So we're going to look at that section of scripture this morning as we make our way through the gospel of Matthew. And when we've been studying this, really over the last few weeks, making our way out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, the conclusion of that, ends the sermon, and then Jesus comes down from the Mount at the beginning of chapter 8, and we see this sequence of miracles. Jesus heals the leper. Jesus heals the centurion servant. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then it says, and a number of other people who were afflicted with diseases, even those that were oppressed by demons, Jesus healed them. And a crowd begins to form. A, a, a crowd begins to gather that there's something fantastic happening. There's something exciting taking place. And of course, you, you could imagine if that kind of news was circulating around us, if those kinds of healings were taking place, you could imagine those that would be interested, that would want to come see. And it says, now when Jesus saw the crowd, he gave orders to go to the other side, the other side of the, the lake or the Sea of Galilee. Like he's about to get into a boat and, and make his way across. And Jesus has what I would say is an interesting relationship with crowds. There are moments where he sees the crowd and you sense his heart and it says that Jesus has compassion on them. And then there are other moments where Jesus sees the crowd and he says really hard things. In fact, they're almost rude. And he uh, disperses the crowd at times or, or avoids the crowd. 
And you see this throughout the Gospels, this curious thing about crowds. And when I think about crowds, crowds could be a good thing, a really good thing, especially if you're trying to start a movement, especially if you're gaining followers, if you're trying to get traction on something and a belief in the the kingdom is now here and how people can be a part of it. Man, the more people that hear that, the more messengers that you could send out, this is what we begin to see. But Jesus leaves the crowd or says hard things, again, that almost seem insensitive. And so why does he do this? I want to just give you a couple thoughts of why Jesus kind of deals with crowds in a couple different ways. And one, kind of through Matthew chapter 8, that you would rightfully draw the conclusion that Jesus' ministry is more than about healing. Jesus' ministry is more than about healing. It's important to see what Jesus is saying alongside this working out of miracles. Jesus has just been healing people consistently gathering crowds, uh, like uh, healing those that are sick, diseased, oppressed, right? But Jesus is saying something else. There's something else happening alongside this ministry of miracles, and it's about faith. It's about obedience. Jesus is saying something here alongside this, and the church does have a ministry of comfort and uh, consolation. It absolutely does. But not less important is this becoming a disciple, a real follower of Christ. And the concern I would offer you is that when we make healing the main focus of the church's ministry, then what happens is when healing doesn't happen, the burden of belief becomes back on you. Well, you didn't get healed. You just need to believe more. And what Jesus is trying to do in this section of scripture, he's correcting that. Because Jesus is trying to create a disciple in all circumstances, not just when healing takes place, but when healing doesn't, when it gets difficult, when there's suffering, when there's hardship, when the circumstances are things that you would love to change and they don't. Jesus is coming back now and he's beginning to say some things that are incredibly important for us. So one, Jesus' ministry is not primarily and only about healing and neither is the church's. And then when we begin to see Jesus in these relationships with the crowd, we realize something else, that the size of the crowd doesn't seem to be real significant to Jesus. And I always thought how, um, how wonderful it was that Jesus just picked 12, that just 12 apostles, just 12 disciples seem to launch out and start this ministry. And what I'm beginning to realize is it's not really the number of the disciples that seems to be so amazing. It's the size and strength of their commitment. It's what's happening inside of them. It's their willing to risk. It's their, their obedience. It's, their, it's, the, it's the, the strength of their faith. And man, I think this is a great insight for us as we look at the church that attendance is really not a great measure of discipleship there's something more here that Jesus is helping us understand something more that I want us to see too so let's look at these things let's look at the two people that engage Jesus let's look at his response to both of them and then let's say okay what does that response mean to me how do I understand what Jesus is saying as something I need to apply to my own life verse 19 it says a scribe came to Jesus this is an expert in the law He's often connected to the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees. This is a, uh, an Old Testament teacher, an authority within the community who understand God's word well. And, and if a scribe at this point in the ministry says, hey, I want to be part of this. I'll go with you wherever. You would immediately go, this is a good pickup. 
this is a pretty good thing. Jesus has gone to the disciple uh, transfer portal and he's gotten the scribe to come join the team. Everybody's going to agree, man, his preseason ranking is going up. The team is looking good. Everybody should be excited about this guy. Like he's joining the team. But rather than celebrate it, Jesus cautions him. Why does he do that? What, what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus beginning to hear? Like we, could, we could look at this. The scribe says, perhaps he says, teacher. Now, how many times up to this point have, have real miracles happened and people have actually approached Jesus as Lord? Now, there's something different in this. The man says, teacher, not Lord. And I think he's beginning to give us insight into what he thinks is happening here and how he's coming. And the subject of his sentence seems to actually be the scribe. He seems to be making an announcement, not a request. He's saying, I will follow you. I'll follow you wherever you go. I will do this. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to be on your team. And I see, and, and you see that this, this group that you're assembling, he's probably saying, like, I guess, right? You, you could probably use a guy like me. I could probably help you out. Looking at these two different interactions, let's call this first one with the scribe. Let's call him the hasty, the hasty. Here am I. I'm all in. Whatever you need, wherever you go, I'm in. I'm with you to the very end. It's a pretty good moment, right? He seems ready. He seems resolute. Like wherever you go, Jesus, I'm your man. I'm in with you. And then Jesus says to him, after he says, I will follow you wherever, Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have the air of the air, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There's, there's this play that Jesus is doing. This man says, wherever you go, and Jesus says, nowhere do I have to lay my head. You're saying wherever, and I'm telling you nowhere. Nowhere is there security. You following me, you will live in a state, some state of insecurity. Matthew 13, it's this um, highlight of seeds thrown by a sower, a farmer, and, and how liberal these seeds are thrown out. But on the different soils and grounds these seeds land in, let me show you one that may fit here with this scribe. Matthew 13, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the words and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. These seeds that Jesus is talking about, this excitement has this kind of this sudden conviction, right? This, this, this quick excitement. And then it's taken up, right? This, this decision, this movement is taken up without a lot of consideration, and then it turns to nothing. One commentator said, soon ripe, soon rotten. It shows us this, that Jesus doesn't want disciples at any cost. He cautions this man. In fact, Jesus is asking this man, kind of pushing back on his response, saying, I want you to consider. I want you to think more deeply. If you think that this is going to bring grander notoriety to you, it won't. If you think this is going to bring greater respect or you're going to be on the teaching circuit, you won't. This is not where this is going to end up for you. There won't be adoring assemblies if you follow me. Jesus says, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests. They're better cared for than you will be if you follow me. Jesus' response, it 
has a way of kind of making its way into our head, into our hearts to reveal what our private ambitions are, what we hope to acquire. Because there is this thought, man, if, if the God of the universe is on my side, man, what could happen? And Jesus is beginning to caution that right out of the gate with this man. He's beginning to push back. He says, following Jesus, following me will cost you more than you know. It'll cost you more. Let's look at this second interaction. Matthew 8, verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So different than the scribe, this is another of the disciples. We don't know who this is, but it sounds like somebody that's already in. It sounds like somebody that's already in the group. And, and it, he says, let me go and bury my father. Now, I know, similar to Eastern cultures, Japanese or Chinese cultures in which family honor was significant, this culture that Jesus is in is very similar to that. And so this commitment to family, um, a son or a daughter, one of their significant responsibilities would be is how their parents are buried and what that looks like and the honor that would be given in that situation. And so this is important. So let's call this man the hesitant. And where the scribe is ready to go wherever, this guy wants to go home. He wants to go home. What would you have said if you were Jesus? You're starting this movement. Miracles are happening. People are coming. One of the disciples, just one, one of the disciples is ready to go home. And you're like, well, okay. Listen, if you don't be part of this, if you're not all in, if you have other things that you think are more important to do, then go do those. If you need to go home, like I know this is important to you, so, so go do that, right? That's probably what we would say. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, stay here, stay. Remain with me. Jesus says, forget funeral planning and follow me. Jesus' answer to the second man highlights another aspect of discipleship, that to truly follow Jesus is to change, to radically change all of your relationships. It radically adjusts. It reorders. In a, in a way, it reorders relationships in, in, a, in a kind of death, that there are certain things that die, certain attachments, certain connections, certain loyalties, certain allegiances that we would have that are surely adjusted. And Jesus begins to reshape those things as we seek him, as we follow him, as we make him Lord of our lives. And there's a kind of death to things when we follow Jesus. Mark's gospel highlights a very similar moment. Look with me, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You know, the cross was hard for anyone to understand. When Jesus begins to put the cross forward, listen, it, before it was a piece of jewelry, uh, before it was inspirational, it was a device of death. Like to talk about the cross brought immediately images of torture and death, suffering and agony. 
Like this, so when Jesus says, you've got to take up your cross, understand, everybody in the room, the whole audience, would have had this pause, like, what is he talking about? This is really hard to say. If you think about this moment later in Matthew's gospel, he highlights this moment Jesus has with Peter. Jesus is telling the disciples, he is going to go to Jerusalem, and he is going to experience suffering. And Peter says, no, you're not. You are not going to die on a cross. You are not going to Jerusalem to suffer. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You do not know what you're talking about. You are not thinking the thoughts of God. You're thinking the thoughts of man. Peter understood the cross. He understood what Jesus was saying in a significant way. Maybe even better than what we do here. Jesus is saying, Peter, you don't need me to go to Jerusalem to overthrow Rome. You need me to go to Jerusalem to overthrow you. There's something that he is doing that the cross is going to accomplish through its death, through its self-denial, through its suffering that's important. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you're also going to need to deny yourself and take up your cross. The cross is more than an event. It certainly is that. The cross is more than just what Jesus did for us, that if Jesus suffered and went to the cross for us, now there's all these benefits that we then enjoy, and we do. But Jesus said the cross is also something for you to pick up, that it's a way of following. It's a way of living and joining Jesus. Listen to what Elizabeth Elliot says as she brings insight into this idea of taking up our cross. She says, I think there is a great deal of nonsense taught about this business of bearing our cross. For example, when people shrug their shoulders and say, well, I suppose that's meant to be my cross, they suggest that the cross is some inevitable circumstance which cannot be avoided, but the cross can be avoided. In other words, what the cross is, carrying your cross is far more an act of the will than an enduring of difficult situations. The cross is something that we are invited to do rather than something that is imposed upon us. And it is a way in which we deny certain things and we take up others. We say no to behaviors that are all about getting what we want when we want. We say no to attitudes that care just for our own interests. We say no to desires that put my interests first. And we say yes, we take up valuing what God says is important, being loyal to the Father at all costs, obeying Jesus when and where he leads, and finding our ultimate reward in knowing God. She goes on to say this, so I think that what Jesus is getting at here is the voluntary positive acceptance of what he's asking of us, whatever it may be. It's not a cop-out. It's not a resignation or fatalism. It is a very positive, voluntary act of the will, a yes to God. This should be the dominant theme of our lives. There are all kinds of difficulties we can't avoid. We can go through life gritting our teeth and saying yes to God in the sense of, well, if this is what you want, I'll take it without ever once in joy and voluntary obedience saying, yes, Lord, I delight to do this for you. I delight to do this for you. What she's talking about is that taking up your cross is, is, more, is more than a way of dying. It's a way of living. 
It's a, it's a submission to God. It's a following of Jesus. It's a being like him in this way. It's the kind of life that values Jesus over everything else. And every culture that has ever been points to certain things that are important and value. We, we're steeped in that. And so we grow up thinking about what matters, what's most important, what brings value. In an individualistic society, it's what you can achieve. It's what you can accomplish. It's your name. It's, it's, it's what you can acquire. It's your possessions. Jesus is speaking to the scribe from this individualistic point of view that if you think coming to me is just going to increase your possessions and what you acquire, you need to think about this. Jesus then approaches not just the individualistic through the scribe, but he, uh, he, he touches the traditional cultures through the disciple. In other words, if you think it's the respectability of your family, it's the legacy of your children, it's the honor of your name, that too is temporary. That too will not last. And Jesus is saying, if you find Right? That if the prevailing idea of what you've built your life upon is achievement or, or family respectability, those things will not last. Those things will not give you what your soul ultimately wants. And he's saying this, that there's an entirely new way of living, an entirely new way of valuing things. And it's the cross. It's the way of the cross. It's following Jesus. It's being with him. It's submitting to the Father. It's loving the things that he loved and delighting in the things that he delighted in. And he says, if you'll do that, if you will deny yourself and carry your cross, you will have what your soul needs. Jesus will die on the cross at the end of his life. But to be a disciple means that you die at the beginning. To be a disciple means that you die up front. There's really only one major decision in a Christian's life. It's the decision and the commitment to call upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And every other decision you make from that point on is really the working out of the first one. Everything. Everything falls in place under that decision. Jesus, I follow you. Jesus, I seek my value in you. Jesus, I, I want to live as you do. I deny myself. I take up my cross. I follow you. That's what we're beginning to see. Galatians 2.20 highlights this beautifully. As Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is what Paul is saying. Everything else has happened because I died with Christ. His cross, my cross. And everything else now, I live for him, in him, with him. Jesus says to one man, count the costs. And Jesus said to the other man, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. What? you will gain as you give up is far greater than anything that you think you can keep, which you can't. He says it's worth it. Follow me. Peter has this moment with Jesus before the crucifixion, and he has an interesting moment after it. In fact, after the resurrection, Jesus goes to Peter, and they're having a discussion about what's next. Jesus asks him a few times, do you love me? 
And Peter says, yes, Lord, I do. Yes, Lord, you know I do. And he's saying, well, I want you to, I want you to feed my sheep. I want, you, I, want you to, I want you to live for me. I want you back in. I want you, I want you fully in. And it, he gets to this moment in John chapter 21, 21, verse 18, where he says, truly, truly, I tell you, Peter, that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. In verse 19, it says, he said this to show him the kind of death that he would experience to glorify God. And after saying this, he says, Peter, follow me. He tells Peter that he is going to die and how he's going to die and says, now follow me. You know what Peter did? Peter looked over at John and says, what about him? And you know what's going to happen to John? You're telling me about me, but like, Jesus says, what happens with John is between me and John. Peter, follow me. And he did. He did. I mean, you you don't get too far into the story. The book of Acts opens up and Peter's preaching to thousands of people. They're coming to faith. He is announcing who Jesus is in a radical and powerful way. And it wasn't the the size of the group at that point, but it certainly was the strength of their commitment and their passion for Jesus that began to set the world on fire in a way that no one had ever seen before. No one ever expected. They said, how do these uneducated men do this? And the response was, they've been with Jesus. That was the only explanation people could come up with. And the decisions, right, that many here have made to follow Jesus. Can I be honest? The decisions that many of us have made to follow Jesus, they feel like a long way away. I think about when I gave my life to Christ. That was a lot of years ago. And since that point, like I have so much enjoyed the Lord and experienced his blessings. And I think like the Israelites going into the promised land that I certainly have, have drunk from wells that I did not dig. And there is a blessing and a grace in that life. But you know what? Life happens. And you get married and you have kids and you get a job. And you work for a while and your kids grow up and you get another job and maybe one day you retire. And life begins to unfold in a way where that decision, as real as it was, it feels a long way away. And the question for us is, are we still carrying our cross? Or are we still truly denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him? Jesus says that statement to one of the disciples. This guy was already in, which means discipleship isn't a one-time moment, and you can re-up. Jesus recalls this man in the moment where he thinks, I need to leave I need to go, I need to go home. Jesus says, stay. Remain with me, stay with me. It's worth it. So let me ask you just a few questions of whether you're following Jesus right now. Would you come to church next Sunday if it meant losing your house? That's the decision. You find out. Coming to church next Sunday means I am homeless. My house is taken from me. Would you come? That's the question Jesus is telling this scribe. You're about to be homeless. Would you do it? 
Jesus said that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So if, if following Christ means this, that is your faith going to be shaken? Are you going to abandon Jesus when the next difficult circumstance comes into your life? Have you stopped defining your life by your achievements? They're not unimportant, but man, do they define you? Has their significance been reshaped by your love for Jesus? Have you stopped defining your life through your achievements? Have you so identified with the family of God that all other relationships are too small to truly reveal who you love and who you are? That there isn't another relationship other than Christ and your relationship with him that truly reveals all of who you are and your identity? Have you stopped planning funerals and started following Jesus? Have you stopped giving your life to things that don't last? Have you stopped spending all of your time on things that are temporary? This is what Jesus is saying. Come with me. I mean, in the most starkest sense, let the dead bury the dead. You follow. Discipleship isn't a one-time moment. And so I think this morning, as we move to a time of reflection in the Lord's Supper, like, church, this is a moment where you can do it again, where you can re-up, where you can be recalled. And if there has been some confusion or some uncertainty of, am I truly denying myself and taking up my cross and following Jesus, then let's say that today. Let's make that commitment today. I want to invite the worship teams up just to prepare to lead us in these next few moments and just invite you into a posture of prayer. And I just want to pray over us and give you a few more thoughts as you just consider. Let's pray. Jesus says, lose your life and you save it. That if you submit to death, your ambitions and your wishes, that you, you can find eternal life. So keep nothing back. Because nothing in you that hasn't really died will be raised. If you look out for yourself and in the end, You'll just find more loneliness, more hatred, more ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you'll find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. Jesus, help us navigate these next few moments as we reflect and as we pray, Lord, as we, as we think deeply as we, as we think about the cost and as we think about your worth. And as we approach the Lord's Supper here in just a minute, Lord, remind us, remind us that we should not teach that we can accept Christ and not also want to be with him and to go where he went and to give our lives as he gave his. 
And so Holy Spirit, do a work in the church this morning. Strengthen our commitment, renew it. I pray just in these next few moments, if there is something that God brings to mind, that you bring it to him, that you lay it down as if it were there were an altar right here to give up what is temporary, to leave with what is lasting. That's what Jesus is offering us. Have your way in this moment, Lord. Renew hearts, renew commitments. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.